Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Don Mazzella, and I am your host for a program devoted to identifying strategies and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are other entrepreneurs and experts offering their solutions to the problems and opportunities facing small business leaders. Our aim in each program is to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas or suggestions. So follow us on Twitter at hashtag 2SBDigest or at our website at www.smallbusinessdigest.net. We have a very unusual program uh, today. It's one that I'm looking for uh, forward to. Our first guest is Jim James Crimmins, whose new book Seven Secrets of Persuasion: Leading Edge Neuro Marketing Techniques to Influence Anyone. I'm always interested in that because I, I don't get to influence many people. Uh, he's welcome to the program, Jim. Thank you, Don. Happy to be here. Well, as we ask all our guests, a little bit about your background, Jim, before we do anything else. Okay, uh, I'll uh, take it back a bit. I uh, was a door-to-door magazine salesman. I was a math teacher. I was a monk. I was a cab driver. Then uh, I worked in an advertising agency for 27 years. I ended up a chief strategic officer. Then I taught marketing at Northwestern University for a few years, and now I'm a marketing consultant. Well, at least it's diverse. Uh, yes, it is. Okay. <laughs> you know, it sounds a little bit, um, when I went to school, I, I did a lot of uh, things like that. Never cab driver. No, I don't think I could take traffic. But anyway, um, Jim, t- tell us about your book. And, and tell, what, tell us what, what, uh, what it's intended to do. The floor is yours. Okay, Don. Uh, during my years in uh, the advertising world and in uh, teaching uh, marketing, I became fascinated with the research that's gone on recently in how the mind works. And I found that, that uh, what they were learning about how the mind works explained uh, why some persuasion worked better than others. It seemed highly related. So uh, that's the basis of the book. The basis of the book is recent research into the mind, how the mind works, and how that applies to how we persuade. Okay, so now tell us how the mind works, because I've been trying to figure out mine for years. Well, uh, it's uh, it, it's a very fascinating subject, subject in that what uh, they've learned, among many things, what they've learned is that uh, over 99% of what the mind does, we're not, we're not even aware of. The uh, uh, What happens is 
we can walk, we can talk, we can breathe, we can digest food, we can speak a language that I'm wondering where the next word is coming from. We can uh, convert the millions of images, uh, in millions of input coming into our eyes into uh, coherent 3D images, all without even being aware of it. And we make decisions in the same way. We make decisions and we don't really know how we made them. We don't really know how we chose our spouse. We don't really know how we chose our religion. We don't really know specifically how we chose our job in many cases. Um, however, it is possible to figure those things out. It is possible to understand and it's possible to influence it since our uh, methods of uh, decision making are different than we realize. Our methods of persuasion have to be different than we realize. Since uh, we don't choose among related businesses, say you and your competitors, on a rational, carefully considered basis, uh, we can't persuade on a rational basis. Since the decision wasn't made rationally, rational information may not work as well to change it. Oh, okay. Can you give us a couple of examples? This this is fascinating to, to me. I, I've always been taught that that uh, we make decisions uh, in most of the cases irrationally, but give ourselves rational answers. Uh, you're absolutely uh, right, Don. Uh, that's exactly what happened. Once we go with the choice that feels right to us. And after we make that choice, we gather information that justifies it. So unlike the usual process, uh, well, actually, the usual definition of persuasion is to convince by mean of reasoned argument. But that's not the way it works, because that's not the way we make decisions. So when decisions are not made rationally, rational information will have a hard time uh, influencing it. So take uh, something as simple or as important as a selection of uh, your choice of candidate for president. You uh, think you'd like to consider the candidates and their qualifications carefully, but you don't. You go with what feels right, and then you uh, then you go through and attempt to uh, gather the information that justifies uh, the choice you've made. It happens that way in most anything. If you if you pick uh, whether it be the the choice of a uh, firm to come and uh, care for your lawn or uh, a beer brand you want to choose or the presidential candidate you want to support, it uh, the process works the same way. We normally think it goes learn, feel, do. I gather information on the basis of information. I form an attitude on the basis of the attitude. I choose a decision. It uh, doesn't work that way at all. It's uh, circumstances uh, really have an enormous amount of influence on in what I do. What I do affects my attitude. I, I'm the sort of person who behaves in that way, so I must have that attitude. And when you have that attitude, that influences how you gather information. If the well, process goes quite backwards. Well, let's take the sales situation. Um, and, and let's take a trade show. Why do we always have, uh, in, in many booths, attractive women um, uh, uh, handing out the flyers? 
uh, obviously because we're we're trying to um, uh, appeal to some uh, at some level to, to sexuality. Yet, um, how does that affect the decision to enter the booth or not? Uh, I use that as example because it just came up uh, in something we were doing yesterday. Well, there's, uh, there's no doubt that uh, the decision to enter the booth, uh, you're probably not even uh, necessarily aware that you're going in the booth because uh, you have noticed how attractive the uh, person is who's passing out the information. But, uh, you know, the, the draw of that is, is uh, unmistakable. It is, it is quite possible to uh, actually, when you talk about or think about the sort of people who are associated with a product, that tells you people more about that product than facts and figures. If you know that uh, the person who um, uh, buys, chooses this firm over that firm is smart, that tells you an awful lot about the nature of those firms. So the information we gather about people who do who makes a, a certain selection tells us more about that selection than facts and figures about that selection. I, I, I'll take a hotel, for example. I can tell you that a hotel has soft beds, but that won't tell you anything about the responsiveness of the service or the uh, uh, fun of the bar, or the quality of the food at that hotel. However, if I tell you that the people that stay at that hotel are sophisticated travelers, I've just told you a great deal more about that hotel. Now you realize that that hotel must have responsive service. It must have a fun bar. It must have quality food, and it must have soft beds because sophisticated travelers stay there. So the the impression we get of the sort of people who do business with each company uh, tells us more about those companies than the sort of facts and figures we can often deliver. Um, so, in effect, you're saying that um, uh, uh, endorsements from people are, are uh, and let's talk about the, the business of business uh, space, the endorsement of, of people uh, we respect is an important element in the sales process. I would, uh, that is absolutely true, but I think it goes beyond endorsements. Uh, endorsements are, uh, it, it all is, the impression people have, the stereotype people have of the sort of business people who choose you, your business. And that impression can be created a variety of ways. It can be created through endorsements, as you say. And that can be a very compelling communication of the sort of people who do business with you. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily have to be through endorsements. If I get the impression that people who do business with you are smart or savvy or aggressive or uh, demanding. Uh, it doesn't necessarily matter that they are or not. They don't have to. I just have to to uh, communicate that. So in, in, in one sense, you choose the sort of people you want to associate with your business and you, you communicate that association, not necessarily... Uh, through endorsements, so that's one powerful way to do it. This this is fascinating to me, and I hope to our audience as well. Uh, can you give us an, another example, uh, Jim? Uh, 
you're, you're really onto something. I'd very much like to hear more. Well, um, uh, let's see. Let me uh, uh, reach back into my uh, history a bit, and then I'll try to bring it uh, forward. If, uh, back in my history, we spent a lot of time uh, selling beer. And uh, we found that uh, the most effective way to sell beer was to communicate the sort of people who drink that beer. Then by when a, when a guy is in a store and he's choosing between brands, he's essentially choosing between clubs he wants to join. If he buys this brand, he joins that club and he communicates to the world he's that sort of person. If he buys another brand, he communicates to the world he's a different sort of person. On the other hand, if um, uh, you're, you're dealing with something that is... Uh, uh, trivial as a beer choice if you're dealing with something serious let's say it's an investment if my stereotype is my impression is that the people who are interested in this investment are savvy aggressive uh, adventures uh, adv investors then my impression of that investment is far greater than anything I might learn from a careful examination of the prospectus uh, because uh, we all go through in our decisions we have to make in life we have many more decisions that we can possibly make effectively even even the experts disagree on which investment is the the best option so we use the behavior of others to guide our choice to inform our choice it's like seeing the line outside a restaurant and knowing that that's a popular restaurant, so I want to make a reservation there and see what they have going for them. The behavior of others is a clear indicator to us of the quality of the option being offered. And it can be the literal behavior of others, or it can be the impression we get of the behavior of others. So the job of a uh, marketer is to create the impression of the sort of people who are choosing your firm. By creating the impression that the right people are choosing your firm, you can communicate much more about your firm than you could by uh, a literal uh, recitation of the uh, practical advantages you have. Oh, okay, now, Jim, let's turn this around and let me ask you. Knowing all this, what should a, a small business owner be, be looking to do to, to be effective using your, your tools? Well, a, a variety of things a small business person could do. They could, for example, uh, think of, well, what I've just been talking about is uh, communicating, uh, deciding what they want to say about their company and communicating the sort of customers they would, uh, that, that would suggest they possess those qualities. A uh, second thing they could do is take whatever practical advantage they have, be it cost or speed or durability or whatever the practical advantage is, and elevate it. Uh, they can elevate it by a very simple process. The first thing you do is you uh, ask, why is it desirable to have this level of speed or price or whatever the advantage may be? And then whatever answer you get, you ask that same question again. Why is that desirable? And again, why is that desirable? Until it rises to the level of 
feeling. You might, um, uh, a mundane example would be uh, calcium in food. You might ask why that's desirable and be strong bones. And you continue on, you eventually get to the point where when you buy that product, you feel like a good parent. That feeling, feeling like a good parent, is far more powerful than uh, the practical advantage of calcium. So mm -hmm. the advice I have is to then focus on the feeling. Raise your advantage from the practical to the emotional. In so doing, you'll, you'll uh, make it far more powerful. Well, please, uh, please, could you give us a couple of more? This is fascinating, Jim. I know our audience, I, I, ha, ha, uh, I have an email across my desk saying, keep it up, keep it up. <laughs> well, I'll I give you a, uh, another one that uh, relates to the way uh, uh, people make uh, decisions. They make decisions, um, like I say, not so much through careful consideration, but uh, often through circumstance. And uh, if the circumstances lead to in a certain direction, we're likely to follow that way, and uh, our attitudes and information will uh, trail along behind. Um, a very uh, a simple case is that uh, it's been learned that um, if uh, women have in their kitchens soft drinks visible, uh, they tend to weigh about 25 pounds more than the women who do not have soft drinks visible in their kitchen. And if women have fruit visible in their kitchen, they weigh about 15 pounds less than the women who do not have fruit visible in their they kitchen. They don't have a, so, what in their kitchen? They, I'm sorry, fruit. I didn't hear. First oh. was soft drinks, second was fruit. So the very hmm. simple act of putting the soft drinks in the cabinet and the fruit on the counter makes a dramatic difference in people's behavior. It doesn't necessarily change their attitude towards soft drinks or toward fruit, but it changes their behavior. Uh, so it is quite possible through, in, through changing circumstance to change behavior. So another thing a, a small business owner can do is to begin not by asking, how can I change people's minds? Because minds are, tend to be quite resistant to change. Attitudes resist change. But how can I change what people do? Often, changing what people do is easier than changing how people feel. And when people change what they do, they themselves change how they feel. So uh, if you can, uh, if you have a problem with your uh, uh, spouse, you're concerned about your spouse uh, driving after drinking, change the circumstances. Take a cab to wherever you're going, and you're, there's no danger of your spouse drinking and driving. It's not an option. You've changed the circumstances that results in a change of behavior. So it's often possible to change behavior, and it's often easier to change behavior than it is to change attitude. And the nice thing about that is that a change in behavior will itself tend to change the attitude. Once we move in a certain direction, our attitude changes in that direction and we become more receptive to uh, whatever the uh, behavior might be. 
Well, uh, Jim, the name of your book again? The name of the book is Seven Secrets of Persuasion. Well, you're certainly uh, persuading me. I wonder if you have the time to stay on uh, and listen to our next guest and perhaps comment. Uh, we, have, uh, we have a very uh, uh, inter interesting uh, guest, and uh, uh, I find that sometimes bringing guests together leads to more uh, informed uh, conversation. Are you available? Yes, I'm available. Okay, then I'm just going to bring our next guest in. Daryl Meady, head of Sorrell Associates. Uh, uh, accessories is with us today. Daryl, welcome to the program. Hi, John. It's a pleasure to be here. Can you hear me all right? Now I can, yes. Uh, I've, I've asked Jim Crimmins Jim Crimmin to stay on and comment because you uh, he's just talked to us about a fascinating book, which I'm going to rush out to get. And um, uh, uh, you ha had a highly successful uh, company. Uh, uh, we're going to get into that. And I've asked him to just stay on and comment as it comes along. But, Daryl, we always ask our, our guests uh, the first question, a little bit about yourself personally before we do anything else. So tell us tell us about yourself. Okay, but before I do, i got to tell you, Jim, I was listening to the last couple minutes of your rap, and uh, we definitely wrote down the name of the book. And, uh, <laughs> Great, thank you. And uh, I call I call it the thing about the soda is interesting. It's my potato chip theory. I take the potato chips and I put them in the cupboard so I don't eat them. You know, because you're looking at them, <laughs> it's too easy to eat. So it works uh, like a charm. Yes. You know, I mean, it's uh, a lot just common sense on a lot of this stuff. So very interesting. Very interesting. Good. Okay, so, uh, so Don, again, it's a pleasure to be on the show, and uh, I'll, I'll try to make it quick. My, my, uh, even though it's, uh, I'll give you the short version, not the long version, of how I got from Fitzwilliam, which is a small hometown in New Hampshire of about a thousand people, to Fifth Avenue. Of course, of course, our corporate office is in uh, New Hampshire here, and uh, you know we. We're, uh, we're New Hampshire people. So let me tell you a little bit about Sorrell Accessories first so people know uh, who we are and just a little bit about what we do before I get into uh, how I got there. Is Sorrell's, we're importers, manufacturers of women's accessories in fur and faux fur. And our clientele is uh, all the major department stores in New York, Saks, Bloomingdale's, Lord & Taylor's. Brooks Brothers, Macy's, and even TJ Maxx. And my wife works for me. Uh, hired her 15 years ago. Very smart move. She does marketing and sales. Both my sons work for me. Uh, Daniel and Dominic. Uh, one does sales. The other one does logistics. And we're all big sports fanatics, too. i got to throw that in, you know. So, obviously, obviously, obviously Patriots fans, you know, but uh, hope nobody hangs up. But uh, so that's uh, – and the, the business, 
you know, don't get it confused with Sorrell the boot. Everybody comes in and say, oh, where's your boots, you know? It's uh, we're the fur people, you know. My background is fur. We, I've done this for 40 years, and that's where the Sorrell accessories, the uh, fur manufacturers and importers. Okay, so a little bit about uh, uh, my childhood, you know, Again, born and brought up in Fitzwilliam, New Hampshire, a small town of a thousand people. It was back in the day when I was when I was brought up. It was kind of my my childhood was like uh, Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer. I was brought up fishing and hunting in the summers. Me and my cousin would go and camp out for like three weeks at a time on a pond where there would be like no houses. You know, it was just great. You know, fishing and hunting. We'd bring our rifles with us and. I mean, you can't see kids doing that at 10 years old nowadays, but, uh, you know, it was, it was just great, you know, and being brought up around here. Then a little later on... How did you get... My, go ahead. Uh, let, me ask, let me ask you a question. How did you get into the, into the fur and, and uh, uh, into fur business? Okay, well, that came a little later on in life, you know, after... Uh, how I got into it was I actually, I was about 21 years old, and I just happened to be talking on a payphone. I ran into a guy who asked me to unload a truck, help him unload a truck. I had no idea what he had in his truck. And then until I got there, this guy's got a 40-foot tractor trailer with his factory in it. And at that point, it was Kathy Manufacturing. Okay? And... Uh, so one thing led to another. I ended up going to work for the guy. And he learned, uh, his dad had bought him this business, and they moved it up from Tennessee. And it was in, he actually started the business in Fitzwilliam. We had 20 or 30 people working for us. I ended up being the cutting supervisor. We manufactured children's rabbit fur items. This was back in the uh, 70s, early 70s. So that, that's how I started in the fur. It's, uh, after five years of working there, I was made president of the company. Unfortunately, though, the company had not done well, and seven, two years later, they folded. At that point, the secretary and myself at the in the company, whose name was Sue Adams, decided to start Sorrell. That's how we got the name Sorrell, Sue and Daryl. First, our first year in business, uh, we worked for a year for nothing, hired a couple of people, bought a couple sewing machines from uh, the Kathy owner, and, you know, just worked hard, did what we could, tried to be real conservative. As as things went along, a couple of years later, you know, Sorrell started to grow. So it was, I don't know, three, four, five years later, we bought a building, 4,500 square feet, which was some different than the two-bay garage we'd started in, and hired, uh, we had probably 20 or 30 people at that time, and we were 100% manufacturing. We made uh, fur earmuffs, uh, shirling hats, fur hats. You know, uh, quite a you know a lot of different pro a lot of different products. We made uh, sheepskin slippers. I mean, you name it, we made it. We made a lot of different stuff. As time went on, it, it 
Yeah, we, we did well. We did real well. We grew we grew ten times in in probably ten years. So as any business, people have to go through adversity, and uh, things. You know, we had our ups and downs, and so some of the some of the downs that we went through. Not saying that you know me getting married was a was a down, but I had two sons that obviously work for me now, but they lost their mother after being married for 15 years. That was pretty tragic. We survived through that. My uh, my business partner Sue ended up with a blood clot in her brain and retired soon after that. I went through a drug addiction, was able to beat that. Okay, so. Uh, so it was, you know, every, everything has, uh, you know, you always have adversity you have to go through, you know, to get, you know, uh, I, I got I to say what doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. So <laughs> That's true. So then, what made you go into the high end of the business? Well, fortunately, I had, when we left Kathy, we brought along the sales rep, came with us, this guy, Dan Levy, who actually ended up being my mentor of my whole life. Him and his daughter, who actually still works for us. Poor Dan has passed at this point in life, but he was like my mentor of my whole life that actually groomed me to, to get from Fitzwilliam to Fifth Avenue. You know, very, very nice gentleman that was almost like my dad and sold for us and he was in the high-end market himself and just kept pushing us to, to get into higher-end products. What, as the, as the season went on, in 98 we manufactured 180,000 pair of earmuffs up here and 15,000 hats. But the manufacturing in the early 2000s got tougher and tougher so we started to import. And what, by importing, that actually helped us to uh, expand into other products. You know, we could go into, you know, fur capes and gloves and vests. And this this really, then the business really started to take off and grow. I mean, the importing was uh, the thing that really helped us uh, get there. But it, having my manufacturing background was the thing that, uh, you know, I was able to actually teach the Chinese that we work with exactly the proper way to make the furs. So, this, so that was kind of my regrouping at that point. So you man, manufacture in China uh, and other countries and, and imported? Yes, we do. We started uh, we started about 10 years ago. For 25 years, we manufactured 100% up here. And then we just couldn't do it anymore, so that's what we started to import. You know, between labor, labor shrinkage, I mean, the labor was... Uh, getting too expensive, and material shrinkage. I mean, there was a day I could buy foxes from uh, brokers in New York. There'd be 50 different people. Now there's probably less than five. You know, it's just there's no materials left in this country. So so at this point, it makes it just very difficult, even though we do maintain a small capacity to still manufacture in the U.S. Uh, majority of it is imported. So, uh, so this was... Part of our regrouping, I mean, some other important things, you know, I was just, I've been so fortunate. I've really been, been blessed on. I just uh, surrounded myself with great people. It just seems like uh, God has put terrific people in my 
life, Dan Levy, uh, you know, from my accountant to my, to my attorney to the people that work for me, uh, a CPA we have. I mean, everybody we work with is almost like family. You know, I've just been so fortunate, you know, uh, just finding just great people. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you. I'm going to interrupt you. Jim, what do you think of all of this? Well, I, I find it uh, fascinating. It's a wonderful uh, Horatio Alger story and uh, uh, in, in very uh, encouraging. Uh, Daryl, uh, obviously you've done a terrific job, and I, I am uh, impressed by um, the fact that what you're selling now is the furs and fur, fake furs, but in, in a sense what you're really selling is the fact that these uh, women would look great in these faux and fake fur, uh, faux fur uh, accessories. Uh, at least um, it seems to me that way that the uh, uh, we are uh, people will pay great deal of attention to how we behave and no intent, no attention at all to why we behave that way. So, and the only way to convince people that you are fashionable is by being fashionable, by acting fashionably. You can't really say, I'm fashionable. Nobody's going to buy that as an uh, explanation. It's a little like a joke. You can't tell people a joke's funny. It's either funny or it's not. Anyway, you have to act fashionably. And uh, what, what you've uh, obviously succeeded in doing is convincing uh, the buyers to whom you sell that uh, you have a product to sell that women will see more in than the literal physical product. They will see the possibility that they can look really good, really sexy, really attractive, whatever they want to see, uh, be seen as. So uh, I, I'm interested, I I'm, I'm uh, understand that your ability to sell is related more to more than the physical product. It's related to the experience of the women who ultimately buy and wear the products. That, that is true. That is true. But we also like to bring a functionality to the product, you know, since my my background is manufacturing, you know, so mm -hmm. I live up here in New Hampshire, so cold cold weather is always in the back of our mind. <laughs> yes. You know, so we, yeah, you know, so there is, we, we like to keep a functionality to the, to the product. Part of our other success has been, is we all, I always work backwards, you know, I mean, I, any of our customers, I look at them like they're actually part of our business, you know, and I have to look at what they have to sell the product for. So I have to bring them a price where, you know, ask them, what is your target price, you know, and then we try to actually design the product to fit in to where they want that product price to be, you know, and mm -hmm. still make a quality product. So it's, but the fashion piece right now fur and fake fur just happens to be very very fashionable but uh, you gotta you gotta always be moving to see what is the next what is the next thing what's the next fad what else could we possibly do so we're constantly thinking you know and trying to keep moving you know it's uh, in this day and age you can't stay still it's great to be successful but you always got to have a certain amount of paranoia you know, to to keep you successful and not get complacent, you know. So mm -hmm. And as you make that point about price, 
and uh, you know, obviously, you you need to be the right price within the uh, the ballpark where the buyer is looking. But uh, the buyer also, uh, of course, has to be convinced that because uh, uh, you can always find somebody who can undercut you. That in addition to price, he is smarter to do business with you than with somebody else for a variety of reasons: quality, style, and not just be even beyond price. And the, lo- the longer I'm in business, Jim, I got to tell you, I could almost bring it down to a couple of words: customer service. Customer service sucks so bad in this country that it's almost like people are shooting themselves in the foot. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. if you can give your customer some decent service, you know, what I mean, and you know, really work with them, uh, it's uh, it's just such a huge advantage. You know, I mean, at that point, our customers will pay more because they know that they can trust us. You know, I mean, I try to give people, you know, what I tell them I'm going to be able to do and always have. And a a great way to convince people that uh, you offer that kind of customer service is to communicate that your your customers are the sort of people who demand that kind of service. You your customers are exactly the sort of people who demand that kind of service, so they can count on that kind of service when they do business with you. Yes, percent right. That's. uh, That's a, you know, we, we really, really strive. Everybody here, we, you know, always, the customer's always right. There's no, there's no, oh, geez, well, you know, this or that, it doesn't matter. Let's make it right, you know, and if we screw up, you know, everybody screws up, you know, you, you know, you own up to it. Just say, look, I'm sorry, we screwed up. What can we do to make it right? You know, what, what do we have to do? You know, mm-hmm. that's the other thing, you know, is to own it. You know, if you, there is a mistake or you're going to be late, you let the customer know ahead of time. You know, I mean, things happen, let's face it, you know. So, but this is, this is what we strive to do, you know, the quality and the customer service. And to have a philosophy, you know, throughout my life, my, my company. I mean, I used to do a lot of coaching in baseball, you know, and I always had a philosophy. You know, it was, uh, you know, attitude, teamwork, and commitment. So... You know, and, and kind of live by that, you know. So. Mm-hmm. But in this, you know, a, a couple of years, just you know, I'll wrap up here. Uh, we uh, we bought a, a, a new building from just a couple of years ago. It's a 12,000-foot building. We have a full-time uh, factory outlet store here. So we're able to manufacture and pack all in one spot. Uh it's actually uh, a couple of years ago. We actually started a, a boot company to confuse matters even more with Sorel the Boot. We're actually manufacturing uh, vulcanized natural rubber boots in China and flats. And we've been doing this on a private label basis. We've made boots for Clarks, uh, Lands End, uh, Brooks Brothers, and we're working with some very high-end designers right now. I teamed up with this guy from Boston, Nasa Kolpak, who's done it for 40 years. He's designed for Prada, Gucci, Michael Kors, Steve Madden. So, so it's you know it's pretty exciting, you know. And, and he actually knows all these people personally. So, so that's kind of a new venture for us, you know. I just kind of person I get bored, you know. I like to keep moving and trying new things, you know. So, where's your outlet store located? located actually in uh, Troy, New Hampshire, right on Route 12. 
and you can actually get inf information on there from our website. Which is? Uh, our website is uh, shop Sorrell, S-U-R-E-L-L, dot com. Spell it out again, Daryl. Okay. The okay, whole, whole thing. www.shop, S-H-O-P, Sorrell, S-U-R-E-L-L, dot com. Uh, and Jim, do you have a website that people uh, can uh, go to? Yes, uh, I have a. It's a strange name. Uh, it's persuadethelizard.com. Uh, no uh, spaces. Persuadethelizard.com, and it in it I review ads and uh, all sorts of uh, uh, things uh, that have been done. Uh, 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 could be television, could be print, could be whatever, or other appearances that people have made, and I talk about how well they uh, carry out the principles of persuasion. Great. No, that's really uh, all right. Uh, Dan, we're we're winding down, but tell uh, tell us a little bit about your succession plans. Do you have it? Uh, what are you going to do? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it was. Well, first, first, uh, my wife Lois came to work for me about 15 years ago. And, you know, she was, that was great. You know, she came from sales and marketing. And my boys both went to college. You know, like I said, we're all big sports fanatics. Played football and baseball in college. My youngest son wasn't really college material, so he came to work for me first. And... But I'd seen too many kids come to work for their parents, so I made them start at the bottom. So, I mean, he's done packing, done brushing, done cutting, and uh, so they all started at the bottom. Today, he does selling. My youngest son sells for us and edits uh, orders when they come in. And my oldest son, he actually does logistics and manuf the manufacturing part. So it was... It was kind of uh, complicated for me to try to, you know, lay out the jobs. I'm fortunate I have a, a great friend of mine that comes in and consults with us, John Taggart. He's always a guy I can bounce stuff off. But, so they've been here both now, you know, youngest one probably six, seven years. So, they, you know, they're starting to grab a hold of stuff, which is actually gives me time to go into other, other venues, you know, of starting other businesses and, new products. So what we'll do is, as I get older, obviously I want to keep working as long as I can, but I would like to start being able to do some things, like maybe fish a little more. So what we'll actually do is work on uh, what we call a, a buyback program, where the company will buy back my stock, and that'll start to give the boys more ownership. And I can make this happen as fast or as slow as we want. Of course, the fact, the key fact is, is they have to keep running the business and keep it successful. But uh, it's kind of an unusual situation because there's really not that many kids going in, taking over the family businesses. But that's know, very true. Exciting. You know, it, it is. And, but, you know, but I listen to them too. You know, I mean, if they got ideas, I don't poo-poo it. 
I mean, because it's a new world out there now. I mean, with uh, social media. I mean, I don't know anything about Instagram and tweeting and all this stuff. And, you know, and you know, what's happening on the Internet, you know, email and technology and everything. So I listen to them and, you know, give them their due. So it's, uh, we keep it exciting and interesting for everybody. And, it's, you, know, it's, mm. you know, there's always things that come up, but... Uh, at the end of the day, we're all working towards a common goal. Put your egos out of the way, and uh, let's let's just move on. So, well, how how will you divide the com- how will you divide the company in the future? Well, actually, the two boys will take it over. They'll be fifty fifty owners. One thinks he should be fifty one percent, but uh, that's yet to be seen. You know, so but that's hmm. so they'll actually end up owning the company. And then hopefully me and Lois, my wife, we can, uh, you know, ride off and live on an island somewhere, you know, and uh, do a lot of fishing. Jim, do you have any comments on this? Well, uh, succession is something I know very little about. So uh, the answer would be no, no comments at all. Um, Well, we're we're coming to the end of the program. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Jim. Uh, any last comments you want to make? And once again, tell us about your book and where you can get it. Okay, the book is Seven Secrets of Persuasion, available at uh, most bookstores or online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or uh, IndieBound. And uh, uh, the, the title says it all. And uh, what's important to remember is that we don't make decisions the way we think we do. When we understand how we really make decisions, we understand better how to persuade and influence those decisions. Hmm. Well, Daryl gave you a great endorsement uh, at the beginning of his time. Yes, thank you, Daryl. It's very interesting. I'm I'm serious, 100%. (laughs) Daryl, tell us uh, again about you, your company, and how people can reach you? Okay. Uh, you can, uh, first off, you can look for any of our products in Lord & Taylor's, Bloomingdale's, Macy's, Saks, or TJ Maxx. And actually on most uh, most of their dot-coms also, if you can't get into the stores. I mean, Lord & Taylor's has like a Sorrel Shrine in, the, in their main floor right by the front door. You can just ask for our product and all the clerks will know who we are. Or you can uh, contact our website, www.shopshopsurell.com. And please, if anybody ever has any questions, contact. Uh, you can contact me through our website, and uh, we'll 100% get right back to you with any type of an answer. And both of you gentlemen, also, uh, uh, anytime, please feel free to contact me. You know, it's, uh, it was really great talking here. Thanks again for the opportunity, John. Well, no, thank you for all the information. I have one question. You don't private label. You, you actually go into the store with your own label, correct? Yes, you have. We, we have two people we private label for everybody else will be our, uh, you'll see the Sorrel label. 
Okay. I, it was it was an email that just came across my desk, so I thought yeah. I'd ask you real quick. Gen I'll, gentlemen, thank you. Well, uh, definitely. I know I, I will. That, uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for what I think was a very illuminating article, uh, hour, and I r really enjoyed it, uh, all of it. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really uh, enjoyed it myself, Dan. Uh, and Daryl, nice meeting you. Yeah, you too, Jim. You too. Hopefully we meet up again. Mm-hmm. Up the good work. Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience add profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture. Remember, we're here every week at blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. If you like what you heard today, tell others about our efforts. If you would like to be a guest or suggest topics for future hours, email me at info at smallbusinessdigest.net. That's info at smallbusinessdigest.net. We would also like to remind listeners that besides our radio efforts, Small Business Digest comes to you via the web, through our video channel, and in our magazine. You can subscribe.